You are now tuned in to Hollywood Ways with Doug and Breezy. Oh, hey, Ted. I know that you like the lies. Know you like the way it shines. There's no other place you'd rather be. This is how we do it. Welcome to Hollywood Ways. I am Doug Ellen here with producer Ted Foxman. I'm going to bring on my friend Mark Abrams, writer extraordinaire, Emmy nominee, won some other awards we're talking about. But anyway, just updates on the show coming up. Table read hopefully is happening on Thursday because of COVID. We don't know if that's going to happen and it may just be a Zoom thing, which is terrible. But we are rolling seven days away. Locations are almost all locked. The cast is completely locked and it's pretty incredible. But I'll get into it with both of them because both of them are involved in this. So, producer Ted Foxman, if you had an enjoyable week, you actually canceled tennis to come to a uh, production meeting today. What do you think? I did. It was worth it. Yeah? <laughs> you really seem like you feel that way. Well, uh, as fate would have it, it started raining in the valley this morning, which is a rare occasion. But <laughs> it started raining, so I actually got bailed out. I didn't even have to feel bad that I was missing it. So if it didn't rain, was the meeting – listen, you wanted to experience everything about a production and a film. What what do you think about those I, meetings? I, I love the process. I love everything about Some it. I it love the creativity. You. No, I love the creativity flowing around. I love the conversations. It's It really does feel like for for my first time in my life, I, I, I understand the statement, like, if you enjoy it, you're not working. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I do. I'm enjoying it. So Mark Abrams is my very interesting friend, one of my first friends in Hollywood, actually, who I met out here probably in 91 through Lori Kritzer. And Mark- 90. 90? 90. Jesus, unbelievable. Even though we both grew up on Long Island and have mutual friends from back there. Mark is one of my real friends that I consider like a real writer. Like most of my friends that are writers were kind of just all a bunch of schmucks. Mark's like a real writer and has written everything from sitcoms to John Wick 3 to a big giant new show that Amazon has, which maybe will go someday, but right now is on hold. But anyway, what's going on, Mark? How you doing, Doug? <laughs> Mark's a little nervous about <laughs> Doug, this podcast. Doug has asked me to come on this podcast every day for the last month. Yeah. And here I am. Well, I think people are going to enjoy this. And, and, you know, for Ted, Ted, who is writing a big check on this show, I'm writing a smaller check, which still hurts a lot. But I think Ted's check hurts. But Ted went into this show, um, which is an incredible leap of faith, before there was any script. I mean, I just said, I want to do this thing. And Ted said, I'm in. I think he didn't realize the budget was going to be quite where it's at it's now. It's a little but, inflated. But what happened was I wrote the first script. Ted loved it. We ended up getting this great cast. But what I always do for 25, 30 years now is Mark is my last stop. And I told Ted many times, I said, everybody's loving this script, but I got this one mother. <laughs> <laughs> who's going to get it. And I promise you, if I hand him Shakespeare, you're not going to get, I love it. You're going to get some good, thoughtful thoughts. So the first thing I want to talk to you about, Mark, is A, friendships aside, mm. when you get a script that's already going and someone asks you to, hey, how can you help make this better? How do you approach that? Well, it's tough. I mean, if someone's going to, if they're already making it, you got to be delicate. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> You know, you and I have you and I have a very long history together. So uh, maybe delicate isn't necessary, right? So you gave me the script to read, and I was reading it. And what I think what I said back to you was, "There's something really good here. The script's not there yet." Yeah. 
I called and were, Ted. And you were very open. That was our first title. Not there yet. Dude. Yeah. <laughs> we still don't have a title, but yeah, I know I called Ted. I go, I told you this motherfucker's <laughs> not there yet. Yeah, I was, I was very open because we've worked. I mean, Mark and I have worked together for 20 years. Mark was the first person I called when Wahlberg said, I want you to do the show entourage. I called Mark and said, you want to do this with me? Because I'm an insecure f- and I usually want someone to help me, but Mark declined. So well, I was uh, working. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you were working on the Bernie Mac show at the, the time. So you come into this thing, and so where do you go from there? What's your first thing that you kind of jump into, story, character, or what? Well, when I read this script for the first time, there were, there were things that I felt were really good. There were things that I felt can be made better. And then I got to this last scene that you had added very late. Don't and give up what I'm it is. I'm not going to tell no. you what it is, Anon. But there was a scene that <laughs> was very different in tone and very real and very powerful and very moving. And I thought to myself, this is the show that I want to watch. This scene. And then we talked about it and figured out a way to retrofit from the top everything to match that scene. And I, and I think it's interesting because th- that scene was uh, – that scene is going to be Martin Sheen and Charlie Sheen. Which I can't wait, and and both of them are, are heroes of ours. But Martin is particularly one of Mark's favorite actors of all time. Which I said, Mark, I'm getting you, Martin fucking Sheen. So read this. But what happened with that scene is, I was speaking to Charlie, and Charlie said Martin read the script. He really liked it, and he might be interested in doing something. So can you write something? That was a very nerve wracking thing for me to go write a scene when Martin had already read it and add him into this scene. And uh, I think it's it, it was great that I did before I gave it to you, too, because I think that pushed it over the top to for get sure you to go. Yeah. And I think it's an interesting thing that when you did sit down to write that scene, you kind of went to a different place. You kind of went to a different place creatively in that scene than in some of the other other scenes earlier in the script. And I don't I don't really kind of understand why. But I think it's great that you did. And you were tapping in. I guess you were tapping into something that you sense the relationship between Martin and Charlie. Yeah. And you leaned into that. And it worked. It worked yeah. great. Well, I think the thing for me, the way I write, which is different than you, and this is not like a process that anyone should try. I think Mark has known this. from the, I just write. Whatever the fuck comes to my head is kind of how I talk. Yep. And then I start to figure it out. Now, Mark, which is a much smarter <laughs> I'm the exact opposite. <laughs> way to write is to really tell tell me what you do before you start a pilot. Before I start anything, you know, whether it's an episode or a pilot, but these days pilots, the writing is the latest thing that happens. Because most of the writing at this point is done before the actual scripting. Right. So I spend a lot of time thinking about what it is, why it is. What I'm trying to say, I really do a lot of that work. And I, and, I, and I like to collaborate. So I do projects with various different friends and, and like I'm doing this with you. And that process, that kind of finding it and talking about it and discarding things and figuring out what works better, on one hand, it's, it actually makes the writing sometimes harder because you've done so much work ahead of time that when you sit down to actually write it, you just find yourself formatting your outline and you realize it sucks. And then you have to go another layer deeper you know, than what the outline was. But for me, I like to do all of that pre-work before writing. And, you know, this is something that you and I have talked about. It's not even about this script, but I think a lot of beginning writers, what they have to let themselves do is they have to let themselves suck, right, when they write that first script, right? You want to write a script and you're sitting down you figure out your ideas and you're going to start to write. You have to give yourself permission for that first script, that first time you put it down, to just suck. 
right? Get your ideas down. Then figure it out. Then be able to look at it, right? The difference between, I think, sometimes is that sometimes they don't know that it sucks. Right. Right? Well, that's a big part of, of becoming a real writer, when you can understand what the problems are. And, you know, obviously, when you come in fresh on a script, you're able to find things that maybe the writer who's been inside of it. But for me, you know, this script was no different than how I wrote the Entourage mm-hmm. pilot. I just blasted it out and then let me figure out where it goes, which totally. some people, again, that can cause a lot of problems. And, and this script, you know, what's interesting about this, Mark, is we're, we're two years into this because this whole show started. And, you know, uh, it's not that I'm hiding what it's about. We'll get into it in more detail when we're ready. But this whole show started when Gary, Gary V met with me because he wanted to do a show. And I called you and I said, there's a show here. And then we came up with, after coming to Connolly's studio, we came up with another show that was set in this world that we're kind of living in now. So it has been a long process. And we broke that. We broke an entire pitch, an entire season, and then the, the pandemic hit. Yeah. 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 It's it's pretty wild to think about that because there are minor elements of that thing in here. There are minor elements of, of where I started with the other one. And, and, and that's why I say for me, the process can often be a lot longer than for other people. Cause you come up with an idea and you go, that's what it is. I've been living in this for two years in various different forms and taking things from, from other ways, which I, which I think helps us a lot in a lot of different ways, but also makes my life pretty complicated. So when you're writing something that's just for you and you're hoping it's going, what's your, what's your process? Okay. So it's, I could never do how I couldn't do how you do it. Like sit down and just start typing and find it. And you've done that as long as I've known you. And, you know, sometimes you, you birth something that's just fantastic. And other times you birth stuff that needs to be changed. Right. And I just can't, I can't, uh, I'm not free like that. Right. So what I, what I do is usually I start as deep inside as possible and then start working my way out. I never start with like, what would be cool or, you know, what would be a great scene? I'm always starting with as much as I can, what do I want to talk about? Like, what do I want to use? What do I, you know, what is an idea that I want to talk about? What's the theme, right? And then start to layer things on top of that. Like, uh, you mentioned it before. The, we did, my friend Adam Cooper and I did this uh, big space show called Galaxy developed for Amazon, which they ultimately passed on. So, like, it's, that's not going forward. So, yeah, but uh, just so everyone knows, that's pretty common. It's, to go sell a $100 million type idea to Amazon is a huge thing. And then to get it made is a whole other level. A whole other thing. And, you know, this is a business of failure. It's like, you know, like you, you, you fail 70% of the time in baseball and you're going to the Hall of Fame, right? Yeah. So most projects don't go in this town. They, yeah. just, they just don't, you know. So that one didn't, but it was a really rewarding project and a really rewarding process. And they liked it a lot, but ultimately – they made a decision that I think was largely financial. It's like this is a very expensive project that was based on not real big IP. It was based on Iliad and the Odyssey and, you know, so. Well, I think it's interesting. Though. Your career is just – it's wild to me. Like I used to look at you as the TV guy. When I wanted to talk television, I was calling you up. You knew – you're kind of encyclopedia. Almost, almost how I look at Scorsese with film – you and I really yeah, spent, we're almost identical. But you know what I'm saying. I spent a lot of time with you talking about TV, and I don't think we spent a lot of time talking movies, and I don't think we spent a lot of time in our first 18 years of life talking dramas. And all of a sudden, you're like, I'm writing John Wick 3, which I, I, I was kind of fucking blown away <laughs> that 
By the way, that anyone and the movie's fantastic. If you like John Wick, see it. But I was blown away that you got that yeah. job. But so, it wasn't. But it wasn't all of a sudden, right? So like it was. It was an incremental process. And I'd been working with Keanu and and the director of that movie for the for five years. So tell me where that things. transition comes so, in, though, from from sitcom or or you know, I, I, sitcom word is a little from like, half hour. Yeah, half hour. So after um, after I did Entourage with you. And then, uh, you know, I had a writing partner for many years, Michael Benson. You both, we both know. And um, we made a deal uh, first with uh, Reveille, and then we made a deal at Universal. And part of that deal was just, you know, we would write pilot, but we'd also produce other people's work. And I found that what I was more interested and excited by were the dramas that I was setting up, right? right? I was leaning into these things and just, you know, it's just a different... It's just a different beast, and I was really excited by it. So we were doing that, and then we set up a project called Scar Tissue at um, HBO. Okay, It was Anthony Kiedis' life story. And that, that, that's a whole other conversation to have, which is great. Just these weird cold calls of these people that we've loved, Walter Hill, Anthony Kiedis. So said, Anthony sure. Kiedis, Chili Peppers, and Walter Hill, one of the great filmmakers. Yeah, and yep. sure, I'll ha- you know, we met with Walter, the sidebar, right? So you know, Benson gets it into his head. I love Walter Hill. I want to meet him. Give me some Walter Hill so everyone knows. The Warriors. Uh, Warriors. 48 you know, Hours. 48 Hours. Getaway. I mean, just Steve the McQueen. list is insane. Right. right? I mean, he's, he's, Walter, he's alien, Walter Hill. He's alien, Walter fucking Hill. Alien. Yeah. Alien. Right. right. I mean, it's Walter Hill. And he's a, you know, he's a, an icon to a lot of writers. So Benson just finds somebody that's in common and reaches out and sets a breakfast at the Polo Lounge with <laughs> right. Walter Hill. Right. And it was me and Benson and, a, and another writer named Elwood Reed, and we just sitting around at pull around at breakfast, and he's sitting there and just small talk and regaling some laughter, and all of a sudden he leans back, and he just goes, "So what can I do for you, fellas?" <laughs> right? I'm surprised he took that meeting. Like what? Based on Bernie Mac or where? No, I just I don't. Maybe it was the person that we, we had in common, right. had cred, right. or I don't remember right. who it was that set it up. But you know, he just leans back and goes, "So what? What can I do for you, fellas?" And I just go, "Nothing." <laughs> and you just saw the shift happen right he just he loved it right? right so you just want to talk you just wanted to meet me and talk and we we're like that's it yeah and i i subsequently went probably four more breakfasts with walter but benson not only continued on and made a friendship with walter wrote graphic novels with him oh wow i didn't right? know yeah that. yeah so it's like it's these are the things that can happen people are people they want to they want to know people they want to be interested and be interesting so that's what happened Walt, walter similarly benson again Read Scar Tissue, Anthony Kiedis's biography, and says, you got to read this. This thing is fantastic, and there's a thing in here. So I don't know how he does it, but finds the person in common, and the next thing you know, Anthony Kiedis is walking into our offices. Oh, wow. And so he sits down, and we start talking and feeling each other out, and the next thing you know, we're developing this project, and we did it for five years. So we sold it to HBO, producing it, hired John Sayles. John Sayles is one of, the, one of my favorite filmmakers of all time. Greatest, greatest yeah. writer. And, and we sold it. To HBO, and we had multiple bidders, but HBO we sold it to mostly because of the content. We thought, especially was, back then, back then yeah. for sure, and and the, the streamers didn't exist really at the time. And, and John Sales writes this thing, and you know we're expecting an outline, we're expecting something. He's like, you know, I'll hit you guys soon. Eight days later, eight days later, he calls up because like I got something. I'm thinking great, let's let's get the outline. He's like, no, I, I wrote the script. So he sends the script, and on one hand, I'm thinking to myself, well. You just took us out of the process, right? It's like we, you know, you you wrote the script, but we don't even know what you did, right? But okay, so you read the script, and all of a sudden, I'm just like utterly humbled, <laughs> right? I'm like reading this thing, and it's lyrical and it's beautiful, and 
it's a master class in writing. Right. And he went off and did it in eight days. Right. That's it's depressing. I mean, honestly, similar story with, with John Ridley. When I, I came up with this idea with Mike Tyson and we right. got John Ridley and I gave him like a little outline of what I want to do. And he had an outline, detailed pilot outline within a week. And I was like, I don't and, know. It's just, he's just, you know, he's a creative animal. It's just what he is. And, it, and he's been doing it for all those years. So it went in and they went nuts. Suddenly it's like they're, it's on their radar. It right. wasn't really on their radar, radar. I think it was a defensive buy because other people wanted it. And they had one note. They were like, well, listen, it's a little too focused, a little too centered on the boy, the boy being Anthony Kiedis, who was, right. you know, 11 at the time. And they were a little worried about that. So they said, can we shift the focus to the father, right? So then John goes, okay, yeah, I guess they paid him some more money. And he, and he does these projects to fund his independent films, right? right? So he – and the, the rewrite on that one seemed a little too cosmetic. It was just kind of like shifting a couple things around. It wasn't – he didn't really go deep right. enough into it. And that's when suddenly we can get involved in the project. And he's like, do you have any plot? You know, at one <laughs> right. point where it's like, all right, well, let's, let's give us a minute to come up with something. And we did. And he used it. And he turned around and wrote an even better script. Right. And then they passed on. Fuckers. <laughs> Fuckers, right? So, so how do you feel, though, I guess? Where, where's that script at, right? <laughs> I'll show it to you. Yeah. I'll show it to you. We've got a couple for you, Ted. If Ted wants to write checks, we've got a couple. I, I, I actually know now. Because we, then after that, we set it up. At, at, we went back to FX. We yeah. originally tried to buy it. And this time we hired... Josh Brandt, who created Northern Exposure and yeah. Fly Away and, you know, another genius writer. And here's the takeaway. This is a show that was set in the 70s, and we hired guys that were age appropriate. We hired the two writers who were both in their 60s. They both lived the 70s. They weren't like a 35-year-old guy whose only reference to the 70s would be other 70s movies. Right. Right? These guys were pulling stuff from clearly from experience, and it made all the difference in the world. Hulu has the shows and movies you love and is committed to providing a platform for black stories to continue to be seen with the Hulu Black Stories Hub. Watch Women of the Movement, produced by Sean Carter and Will Smith, and all seasons of Snowfall and Atlanta. Catch up on Queens, Grand Crew, Blackish, and Abbott Elementary. Binge RuPaul's Drag Race, Powered, Queen Sugar, Tyler Perry's Have and Have Nots, Hulu Originals, Wu Tang, and American Saga, Woke, and more. With all those plus classics like Living Single and Family Matters, docuseries like Your Attention, Please, and Black Love, and Hulu Original Movies like The United States vs. Billy Holiday, and Onyx Collective's award winning documentary, Summer of Soul, you can find stories and storytellers that highlight and celebrate black history, past and present, on Hulu's Black Stories Hub, 365 days a year. Hulu subscription required. Terms apply. That's the thing that I think everybody has to understand is how John Sales is, if he didn't win an Oscar, he was certainly nominated for I multiple. Think he, I think he was, yeah. Yeah, but, and, and, you know, even in that case, it is just really hard to get things going, which is why... When I told you, you know, Mark's, uh, Mark's, uh, right, right like the show, but Mark's uh, living partner. My woman? Yeah, your woman. Okay. Mark's woman is a powerful powerhouse. You know, exec produced Ugly Betty and The Office and. Uh, Hentified. She is a powerhouse. And I called her because I said, you know, I know how Mark is. Mark, you know, he gets stubborn on his things. And I said, I'm making this show. This is a year ago. I said, I'm making this show. I don't know how, I don't know when, but I don't want Mark to miss this. But what you did, which you have to feel pretty good about, you hang around in the 
in the you know in the alleys for a while. You waited and waited to the last minute. It's the periphery. <laughs> I was in the periphery. But now, just tell me how you feel about this because what I'm so excited about, and I just want to go back to how this all came about for me. I wrote a spec script as the pandemic started. Uh, it was the thing with Thierry Henry. Matthew Vaughn was directing it. It was going, and all of a sudden, it wasn't going. And I just had enough. I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm making my own thing. I got to figure out how to do it. I wrote a couple of scripts. None of them really stuck to me. But now you're in this position where we're making this mm-hmm. and there's no bullshit. There's no notes except for us. Ted throws some stuff in, but it's a, like, it's it very real- attractive. It was yeah. a very attractive, uh, you know, situation. I guess my point is, so writers can I'm kind really of, a writer's financier. <laughs> well, Ted's had some good ideas. I mean, you know what That's Charlie called him? Actually, I can't give away the joke. But Charlie remembered uh, a funny thing that Ted added into the script. And right when he walked into – I want to explain this to people. The, the group that we're working with right now is so good and so kind of all – in it as a team that it's kind of mind-boggling. What I was saying to Ted is when you have a star like Charlie Sheen, um, Ted walks into my house for a barbecue, and Charlie, who I told him a a line that Ted came up with, the second he sees him, he he goes, Ted, blah, 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 Foxman. And, (laughs) And what most people will find in this business is that you have a lot of people who don't want to give anyone credit for anything. They want to take all the credit for themselves. And what's beautiful, I think, about this show is we have what I like to do, and I think it's why all my team from Entourage is coming back. I like everybody to feel empowered, enabled. I like the best idea to win, and I don't care where it comes from. And I like everybody to get the credit they deserve. Talking about this show now, how does it feel different? Because I've said for years, if people would just get the out of my way and let me do what I do, I could get to the place where I get to. When you want to put all the hurdles in front of me, it becomes harder and harder to motivate. So so how do you feel that your writing can benefit by the fact that we're actually moving and going forward? Does that help you to inspire you in the day or, or anything like that? You mean to the next project? No, even to this one. Like, do well, you feel like a more of a freedom than, you know, waiting to hear? Well, okay, it's, it's just us, yeah. right? So, you know, we, we, we set the course and we, we pilot the ship, right? Yeah. So there's no, but there's no master that's coming along saying, you know, we need it, you know, we need to, you know, move this moment up and we need this thing to happen here. And like, you know, we, this guy's too mean or, or whatever it is. Or we have another show that's similar. Or you got to get rid of that. Similar. Then... Just, you know, we're just in, in just, just notes yeah. like the notes that listen, there is, I've gotten some incredible notes there. There, sure. there are some really, really talented executives, but the, you also sit through some notes that, you know, are coming off of some checklist. Right? right. And like, and there's sometimes you get notes from certain places that are the same notes they gave the next project and the same notes they gave the project before. It's almost like this is their formula. That doesn't sell. That doesn't help anything. Right. Yeah. Nothing, nothing unique comes out of that. This is a unique project. Okay. Whatever happens with it, we have something different here. Right off the bat, you know that. Right. And the freedom that we have on a, on a production like this, because it's financed and because we don't care what anybody says today. We're going to care what they say tomorrow. Ted cares. Right. right. No, no, I'm saying today. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. We're doing the thing that we want to do, that we all believe right. in. And it has been unusually successful in, ter- in, in all these different avenues. We have a 100% casting rate. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I try to explain to Ted. I've, no, I've never seen that. Like I've done independent movies that are financed, and casting them is impossible. It's like four weeks for an agent to get back to you. You don't even know if they actually gave it to their client or not. We we've, have gone everybody we've gone to that we picked that yeah. we wanted goes great. Yeah, in 
Yeah, I mean, I want to tell that story because it was so great. Mark, Mark had his anniversary with Terry Weinberg this weekend, so he didn't come to the little barbecue that we had at the house. But I saw Reacher, which is phenomenal. You loved it, too. Loved Ted, it. Ted has not watched it, even though I told she him to. watched Ted. Really so I'm <laughs> waiting on my two uh, younger boys to uh, watch with me, and that's a little hard. They're going to enjoy that. it. But, I, but really I'm, good. I'm watching that, and I see this guy in a small scene, and I'm a little out of the – I don't watch a lot of stuff anymore. I mostly watch documentaries, to be honest. News, sports, and docs. Yeah, so I, I thought I discovered – this guy Harvey Guillen who's fucking amazing and I, I, I was texting with Charlie Sheen who told me to watch Reacher I said did you see the medical examiner on, on Reacher he's like he's amazing he pops off the screen so I called Sheila Jaffe our casting and I said you know what let's let's give this part to uh, Harvey Guillen and she goes you're not getting him are you crazy like this guy is he's in what is it in the shadows which Things I have to watch shadows. which was nominated for like 16 think, Emmys last year wasn't he nominated for two golden gloves I, I think so something, and, something ridiculous know, I mean he's just unbelievably talented it goes to show you what you're capable of when you have no clue what you're getting yourself right. into. Yeah, and yeah. so I said, well, can we maybe set a call with him? And so he called me Friday at 4 o'clock. Mark's having his, his anniversary. I'm sending him pictures of 20 the, years. Of the, 20 years. I'm sending him pictures of the steaks and the caviar that Jack Arnold brought to cook. And I think you were, you know, a little jealous, but you had, a, you had to have your relationship uh, moment. I, I, I get felt, it. I felt you were, you know, taunting me explicitly. <laughs> so, but, I, but Harvey calls at like five o'clock and Charlie was already at my house and uh, I get on the phone with him and we just have this amazing talk, which is just such a difficult thing to happen in this town. Normally the agents and the managers and I'm like directly with him. I said, why don't you just come over tonight for the barbecue? <laughs> so I texted Mark and I go, he, he goes, how'd the call go with Harvey? I go, good. He's on his way over for the barbecue. And, and you wrote like, oh, okay. Go, oh, yeah, yeah, that's not, that's not true. <laughs> and when I, when I walked in, you were like, oh, and he's coming over right now i'm like he's coming here now? yeah yeah you just got off the phone with him two minutes ago yeah what a and what a great guy what he didn't know unfortunately is because Connolly was there and charlie was there and he expected like a party and we had a great food but at 9 30 like as ted knows it was getting shut down i was done <laughs> like i was done and harvey was ready to fucking hang the rest of the night but but what a great guy and what a talented actor and i think that's what's been so remarkable about this, that we just keep pulling the pieces. Just found out, by the way, I don't even know if I told you yet, John Korn, amazing yep. editor, season one entourage, curb your enthusiasm, you're a friend of his. Um, these are hard people to get when you're doing something on a budget and you can't afford it, and everybody's coming in on a passion level, and that, that's really exciting. So It's amazing. Yeah. So I, yeah, I just ahead. got another very exciting update. Uh-oh. But, uh, I didn't have the money ready to uh, fund this project, <laughs> yeah. but my house deal is closing today that will actually provide the funding. So we're going to be good to go after, after today. <laughs> Cutting it right wow. to the wire. And by wow. the way, I was on the set of Kissing a Fool <laughs> in Chicago 15 days in. David Schwimmer's already arrived, and the check bounced from a producer, and one of the other producers almost killed the uh, other guy. So that does happen a lot, and what I've tried to explain to Ted – is how difficult independent productions usually are. And knock on wood, because anything can happen. But right now, it's been really pretty smooth sailing. Even on the studio level. They yeah. can decide at any time to turn off the spigot. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. but we're, That's not going to happen. Yeah, here. the spigot is going. I mean, we'll, yep. we'll have to kill think about, But think about all the little serendipitous events that have occurred throughout this whole process. I mean, we've been talking about this for 18 months at least. Yeah. And... Here you are just watching TV one weekend. And and I'll be honest with you, Reacher, when you said, have you watched Reacher? I was like, what are you doing watching Reacher? Like, that's not even in your, your Charlie wheelhouse. Charlie told me to watch it. So 
And then to get the guy who immediately pops off the screen to you, you go, God, that, that guy's just great. I yeah. wonder if we can get him. Yeah. But think about this because I met Charlie Sheen over a year and a half ago. Um, I, we, Mark and I had a meeting with him to write a, a totally different show with him, and he had something else going in the meantime. So we kind of put that on the back burner. But I wrote this scene for Charlie to do on Victory the Podcast, just a scene that had no story and nothing to do with anything. And I guess my point is not to discount what Mark says, because I do think, especially when you're running a television show or you're actually hired by somebody, it's important to be as organized as possible. But when you're me and you have a lot of time on your hands and you're kind of bored, the fact that I wrote that scene it was just sitting there when we, Ted and I started doing a show with Kevin Connolly and Kevin Dillon. That was our plan. We're doing a show with them. Charlie you're was talking, not even You're talking about that scene uh, that was... For the podcast. The scene that, that you showed me? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, so I'm saying, though, now a year later, I write this script. We don't even have Charlie, but all of a sudden, his other project fell apart. He calls me up, and I go, how do I... Bring this and right. this together. So the fact that I had written it was was a good thing. So I think one of the lessons I say for all writers is, first of all, write every day. I mean, whatever it is. And, and by the way, I don't do that. I'm not sure you do either, which no. is sad. But I know that Aaron Sorkin does. I know that Stephen King does. Tom Fondana does. Yeah. I mean, the guys who really, really hit it I, out I heard of a park. story. I heard a story. Maybe I read a story about Tom Fontana, who's, you know, an amazing writer, you know. Yeah. And that's Oz just give a, and, yeah. Oz and uh, I can't even list it. But I know that he came up through... Uh, I think he might have come up under um, Brand. I think he might have been like one of those um, St. Elsewhere guys, but I'm not sure. Yeah. But anyway, I, I heard a story about Tom where when he finishes something and he's got a day or two in between something he's got to start again, he writes a fucking short story. <laughs> just, right? Yeah. I don't even want to read a short story in, yeah. between, in between you know things. It's just amazing. But you know what the thing is? I think, and that's why I was, I was alluding to this earlier, I think when the process is smooth, this I can do. Like, we sit and talk about this script all day. I talk to Ted 40 times a day about title ideas and thoughts about it. It doesn't bother hats. me. Hats. <laughs> we want to make hats. hats we, don't even have a, we don't even have a title yet, but we do have blank hats that we're ready to be printed as soon as we lock the title. But, I mean, it's, it's when you feel like something is happening and going and the process is exciting – it motivates you, but when you're beaten down all the time, I, I, I remember you were you, you. All of a sudden, there was a there was a. You said, "I'm I'm going to disappear and I'm writing something." Right. This was when you started scripting this script. Mm -hmm. Before that, it was just like you know pandemic malaise, and mm -hmm. you know we were all living it. You know, yeah. it's just like you know this getting through the Amazon thing. You know, when they ultimately passed on it, it was like late in the it was in middle of fourth quarter of last year. I said, screw it. I yeah. just took the rest of the year off, yeah. you know, and just like did other things and cleared my head because I just didn't have the energy to kind of, you know, the energy was, I think, in everybody has been sapped yeah. in the last couple of years. You, I remember, just went away and started writing this thing. And then you started to put a clock on it. You're like, you would text me. It's like, we're shooting this in April, bro. <laughs> yeah. We're going. I'm doing this thing. It's happening, right? And you kept doing it. And you, suddenly there was a script that was done. And I'm thinking to myself, no fucking <laughs> way. It's not happening. No way, no way. And then you said Martin Sheen. Yeah. <laughs> you know what, though? I, it, it is a big thing, though. The reality is I knew because we got the podcast going. I knew I got Dylan and Connolly. 
and I know they're willing to trust me and work for, for free, essentially, which is not an easy thing to do. And then to get Charlie on board, and then it's just dominoes keep falling. Yeah. We got Breezy locked up today, finally, which all of this, like, it's amazing how this has all come together. Ted introduces me to Breezy a year ago, you know, just yeah. to do a podcast. And the minute I met her, I said, there's a show with her. I don't know what it is. I don't know where it is. I wanted to put her with Scott Kahn, and yep. we never ended up on that meeting. Yeah, she's got something really special. But I think the thing is, is to really try your best, and it's very difficult in this, in this business. You've got to move forward constantly, and you got to. And, and I don't mean to depress you or bring things up that might be. But when I write a script, of course I put a ton of effort in. But the reality is I'm usually writing from my own head. You are writing things with research, and you are grinding. Mm-hmm. And you had this particular project, Rain, that was phenomenal. Right. So that, that gets back to the original story. Like, how did I get to Wick, right? You yeah. asked how I got to John Wick. So, you know, it set up those projects. Uh, and then my partnership split up, you know, with Benson. We've been together for 20 years. And, you know, there was, there was no acrimony. I love Benson. You know, I talked yeah. to him all the time. I haven't dinner with him in a couple weeks. But when we split up, I decided that the thing that I need to do is write something alone. I'm going to write a drama. Was that hard to write alone for the first time in a it long was, time? It was hard, okay? Because what happened was is that it goes back to that idea of saying, give yourself permission to suck. I didn't, right? I stayed in research because it, it was a historical story that I set up at uh, Nat Geo and love it. Great script. And it's ultimately the script that wound up putting me in with Keanu. So developed this project, would not start writing it because I was so afraid to actually sit down and start scripting. And then when I, and I was afraid, I forgot the central rule. Just write it. Just right. put something bad down. It doesn't matter. You'll go back and fix it. And then once I gave myself that permission, then I started writing and I didn't really have to change much right. by the time I got through it. That project, again, didn't wind up going forward. They were going to make it, so I'm told, but then <laughs> right. they were both fired, the people right. that run, run the network. Someone else comes in, lovely woman. I don't want to do crime. Right. You know, so these are the things that you, you know, it's like you're always at the mercy, right? And so, it's so amazing. It's just like one simple call. I don't want to do crime after you worked for a year on something. That and, they wanted crime, right. you know, so the new regime didn't want crime. So uh-huh. anyway, so at, what happened was, is that I was working uh, with a different agent and they said, uh, I want to put you in a room with Keanu Reeves. He has a series of books, the Rain books, about a half Japanese, half American assassin. And... The stuff you're doing now really kind of fits in with that. And I thought to myself, I would love – oh, I originally thought, oh, he's producing it. They're like, no, he's going to be in the right, show. Right. I'm like, all right, I would definitely love to do that. <laughs> but what I did was is that I know that I didn't have any drama credits. You know, I produced a lot of scripts and developed a lot of drama, but I didn't have any produced drama credits on TV show. So I reached out to, to my good friend Chris Collins. Um, I thought, let me go to Chris and see if he wants to do this because Chris is a great writer a good friend. I know we have a really good synergy. And he also happens to be half Japanese, half American. Not the reason why I went to him, but I thought that would really kind of resonate, right? So we get this project. We're working with Keanu. Now, just remember, Keanu is not... He's he, not he's he, not quite Keanu of today. He's in between where he, he was after Matrix. It, it was a little he, bit he, of a down. He's not in between. He's down. Right. right. Keanu's, Keanu's doing a television show. Right. Right. And at a time when television shows. Oh, well, no. I mean, everybody was doing him. Right? right. I mean, it was everybody was getting doing the best thing. You know, they'll all say the best writing in, in town is in TV. Yeah. But there was a time. So this, I, I was this just was thinking, inside of that. Right. right? Okay. And and he had just done the first wick. It hadn't even premiered yet. Like they put it in the can. It was right. a, you know, small little independent film. They didn't know what they had. Right. So 
we met, we get this job, we start developing the show. And as we're taking pitches, we're Wick about to start, out. Wick comes out. And it was like the, the perfect storm. We pitched it to like nine places. Nine places say yes. <laughs> right. We whittle it down to four. And then for the first time, and it'll never probably ever happen again, the heads of those networks were pitching us why they were the right platform. Oh. It was amazing. And then we wound up doing it at HBO for, for uh, uh, Cinemax. Right. And we develop it for a long time. We work on it for a long time. And then it ultimately moves over to Apple. We develop it there for a long time. And the company that we were doing it with decides, you know what? We have pre-sold this thing internationally. We can self-green light. Let's just start making the show. And Keanu pulls out. Oh, I mean. Why? He comes. He's at my house. And I, I loved working with Keanu. He's a really, really deep thinking. He's very smart, knows what he does. He's just, he's a really good collaborative guy. And he comes to my house and you could see it. Like he's kind of shaking. Like he's just like, you know, and he's like, I, I got to pull out. And we're like, why? Right. And he's like, well, cause the dates won't let me do John Wick too. And if we do, if I do this, I can't, and I'm a film actor. I feel that way. I've always felt that way. And he was right. I mean, John Wick two exploded. Fuck right? <laughs> no, 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 no. John Wick 2 exploded and off to the races. So meanwhile, what we didn't know is that the directors of that were attached, Stahelski and Leach, were attached to the Rain Project and who directed John Wick. I didn't know this, but they used all of our you know, story material and our, our, our format and everything as a template to organize their thoughts to sell their vision on Highlander reboot. Right. Right. And now they come and Chad comes and says, um, listen, you know, now that you're free, I can't find anybody to do this that I want to work with. Will you do the Highlander reboot? We're like, are you kidding me? You know, yes, of course. We love Highlander. So we did that. And they'd been doing that for, I don't know, 10 years trying to crack that nut, right? And I, I guess we solved the Da Vinci Code of that movie. And then they moved us on to John Wick. And we did John Wick 3. We were the third writers in. Now, at this time, we've been working kind of like as a group for five years on three different projects. Right. Wick being the third. So, you know, there was a little bit of a trust and a shorthand. And we were – I just remember like they'd been working on Wick now, the third one, for a while. And just wanted to peel it back. They had a framework for a story. They knew where they were going. But there were things about it that just felt just kind of surface, right? So I just remember one of the first things that we asked was, well, all right, can it? why does John Wick even want to live anymore, right? And it's like he lost his wife in this first movie. He lost the dog. You know, it's so much death, so much killing. Why are you struggling to live? You know, what's the – why? You know, just to eat the bullet and go away, right? And there was quiet, and he – and that's what Keanu came up with this idea. He said, I want to live so that I can remember my, my dead wife. If I can remember her, she's not truly gone, right? And that became the whole thing for his character in that movie. And wow. it just came out of a simple question. Yeah. And that's going back to our process, right? Yeah. What I did on the script with you is investigated these scenes and say, well, what can we talk about inside of these scenes that you already have that can maybe go a little deeper for the character? We certainly did that with Dylan. We tied every single character's story thematically to each other. Right. So that they're all going through the same thing, even though they're going through three different things. Right. And that's well, I think, it. I think, you know, there's so many takeaways from that story. And obviously, if you can get a movie star right before he pops, yeah. you know, that that's a key, but you got to find a way to keep them. And, and then I guess the question is for young writers listening out there, how do you move on from that disappointment 
and go right back in and start grinding, even though it really led to amazing stuff. Yeah, it's hard. And, you know, it's one of the things that gets easier as you have a longer career because there's going to be a lot of disappointment, right? Initially, you know, guys can get – guys, girls. I mean, writers can get, you know, really knocked down and, you know, just keep – move on to the next thing. Find the thing you – listen, people always say write what you know. Right. I don't I don't go for that. Right. Because what you know might not be that interesting. Right. You know, it's like it's what, you know, you know, write what you want to find out. That's what I think is interesting. Right. Because if you want to find something out, there's a chance that other people are going to be interested in that thing, too. Right. Right. So, you know, find the next thing that you're interested in. Spend a little time reading about it and then formulate something and go. So what do you hope? I mean, 30 years you're in the business. You've had. Ups and downs. But but you've had real success, even though I'm sure at times, like me, you go, how the f*** am I not really where I want to be? But we still got some time. I think I'm hoping this is going to open up some new doors for us. Let's hope. Where do you ultimately want to be? What would you want to do five years from now if you could do anything aside from crypto, which you seem to be obsessed with right now? Well, if if all things go well with crypto, (laughs) I'll probably be in an island someplace. um, So so it's not a love for you. I mean, is it anymore? I mean, that's why I got into this business because I loved it, and then they 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 stole that yeah. joy from me. And and and, <laughs> and and they do, and they do, and you know, you find you find the connection to the love as you do things. You know, as you as you find as you do something that you get really proud of, you remember, you feel it, yeah, right. And that's kind of like you know, it's it's that you get that taste, yeah, and you're hooked, and you yeah. you, you know. Um, you know, you've been doing it enough time, your eyes aren't cloudy, you're not rosy, you know, and your eyes are, you know what's what, you know, what's up, right? What do I hope? I hope that this, I hope the director doesn't fuck this one up. (laughs) I'm the director. Yeah. (laughs) I hope hope this one, I hope this one um, comes together like we know it can. Yeah. And if it does then we're going to be able to make more of these and, you know, how and where, and those are all conversations that we'll have, but, you know, this can be something unusually cool, you know, and it's different. Well, that's the thing. That's the thing for me before, before we go, because, you know, Ivan Reitman passed away as, as as a hero to both of us, I'm sure to Ted as well. I I haven't discussed it with him, but, um, you know, in whatever year it was, 82, 83, I went to a Town Park movie theater to go see Cheech and Chong's Up in Smoke. I'm, I'm somewhere between 11 and 13, and the movie ends, and they say they make an announcement that they're going to show Bill Murray's next movie. Um, and I remember I called my parents and lied that the, 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 the projector broke and I was going to be late, and mm-hmm. we stayed for this movie. And, and Up in Smoke is obviously it's a funny movie, but mm-hmm. I saw Ivan Reitman's Bill Murray, Harold Ramis's um, no, no stripes, stripes, stripes. Okay. and. You know, it's one of those things that has informed me for 40 years that I still legitimately quote almost every day with my high school friends or you or possibly you, Ted. And, you know, it it is when you get to 53 years old, like I do love that, like with Entourage, that there is this world out there of people saying victory and that Sabonis on the Sacramento Kings runs up to Kevin Dillon and yells Johnny Drama 20 years after it it happened. But I do do really want um, most important to me now from all of this, more than a legacy, more than doing, making money. I want to really enjoy the process, which I never did. I mean, I never, like Entourage, when I made the show, was great. But, you know, like Writer's Room was 
the worst experience of my life for me. It was just torture. I really want to enjoy it, and that's why I've done my best, and I think everybody involved with this show wants to be here. Nobody is here because they're getting paid or because they're anything. So that's what I hope to do for the next however long we're able yeah, to no, do it. I, you know, and, and, and be able to pay them, you know, and, yeah, you know, and, yeah. and, and do, it, do it right. And there's, you know, look, it always comes back to, you know, what are you talking about? What's the script? You know, wh- wh- where do, what are we saying here? And there's something here. Yeah. You know, there's something really interesting. And it's, and, and, you know, it's about these guys. We're not going to get into what it's about. And but, gals. Uh, and gals. But yeah. I'm just saying it's like, yeah. you, know, you know, it's about people that are inside of something different yeah. In a time of their life that has different, that is resonating differently, and I think that it's going to catch people by surprise, and I think we have something special. Yeah, I do too, and I feel, I feel, I really do. I can't feel better about everything that's happening, and hopefully, no hiccups coming up. Um, I'm hoping we do this table read on Thursday because I would like to get the come. I'm more about Mark's very different than me. I hear every word, and if our story's solved, uh, dialogue is not something I worry about. But I like the, the actors to say it to make sure they're comfortable well, with it. It's going to happen one way or yeah. the other, you know, yeah. whether we're in person or on Zoom. But it's going to happen. Yeah, I, I, hopefully, hear it. you know, well, hopefully it. we can get everybody. But um, we're going on February twenty third. Um, yeah. Foxman had to write another check today, or wire. I it's guess just a series of small wires. <laughs> it's like cuts, small cuts, like across your a body. Death of yeah. a thousand cuts. A thousand so, but by cuts. next week, though, Ted, it's you got to watch Reacher so we can really talk about it. And then I heard from uh, on the Victory of the podcast. I got to watch the last duel, which I never heard of. Kevin Dillon said he cried watching this movie. It's 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 good. And it's I'm, intense. Did you watch it? I watched. I well, yeah, part I, of it. I watched half Ish. of it, and then. <laughs> I watched half of it. Yeah, it's Ridley Scott. And was really into it. And was really into it. But something happened that we, I wasn't able to finish it and then forgot. Okay, I'm, I'm in bizarre disbelief that Ridley Scott has a movie with Adam Driver, Matt Damon, and Ben Affleck. And I have no idea what it these, is. That's, these are the I, days we're living in. You know what? It means I'm, it means I'm focused and working because I really, I really have been. And it, it's, it, it's also because things aren't advertised the way they were. And that's you know, true, you know, too. But uh, what I want to say is, you know, we blocked out. I like to have the whole scenes blocked out before we get in and shoot them. So I take the stand-ins and I bring them all in. And then hopefully the actors kind of conform a little bit to where I'm saying with some leeway. But uh, the day went so freaking fast that I forgot what production days are like. And uh, so all of you guys, we're going to need uh, Ted, who's on his phone right now. We're going to need you I'm looking off up the, the movie phone. from last day. Absolute and pure focus. <laughs> all I ask for from everybody right now, and Dylan and Colin get mad at me when I give them their, the pep talks. Next f***ing 10 days, every single great moment that we can come up with needs to go onto this screen. 100%. And and every personal problem you have, try to solve it somewhere else for me. This one, more than anything I've ever... And, and it's, we haven't even gone yet, you yeah. know, but this one really feels like everybody pitching in to do a show. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, yeah. you know, putting on a play in the barn, you know, it's like everybody's really putting, yeah. it, again, putting it again. Do you want to go do some blocks? It's like Tucker. Yeah. And that's honestly, that's how, that's how I, that's how, honestly, that's how I've done everything I've always done. And that's why, you know, I mean, Mark is, Mark has been involved with every f- script that I've had for 30 years. That's why when I told Ted, I was bringing him in. He's like, oh, is he? I'm like, he's the guy that I would sit around and talk about for hours before I sit down and write or Mark really, uh, also with the Terry Weinberg project, um, they hired me when no one would hire me, not Mark, but his, his, his woman, his 20 year woman. <laughs> yes. 20 year woman. She, she hired me to write this show, which honestly was, was a good show. But I remember, uh, you know, I, like I do, I wrote a draft in about a week, lots of laughs, lots of good moments, good characters. And then Mark's like, what's the story? I'm like, I don't really 
fucking have any idea. And I remember, I remember sitting in my kitchen, and we literally broke the story in like yeah. eleven minutes. And then I wrote the script, and then it, of course, it didn't go, yeah. but it almost did. And, and, you know, and I got a really nice gift out of that. What did I give you? Well, you didn't. Barry did. Uh, well, I could have taken it for myself. But anyway, my <laughs> my. What, what did you get? A nice bottle of 59 Latour. 59 Latour. Yeah. Oh, excuse me. That's my, my, one of my best friends who passed away had, you know, Mark is, which, you know, I, last year I wrote a wine show, which Mark didn't like as much, but whatever. We're going to get that going next. I know it. Because there's a lot of times, by the way, where Mark, he really, I'm like, Mark, I'm he telling you, it's, it. it's there. We just got to. Get in there with a shovel and figure it out. But I know there's a, a show there. I got this Scott, this Scott Con wine show. But <laughs> what happened was uh, I said to my friend Barry, who was he's uh, very tight with was very tight with Jordan Belfort, and you know lived that same kind of insane life for a long time and made insane amount of money. But I said Mark is a real wine guy, Barry. I need to give him something that impresses him. He said, Yeah, grab something in there. And I grabbed this bottle. I had no idea what. The was I go, is he going to like this? And he's like, yeah, I think he's going to like it. And I brought that over, and I think Mark almost cried. No, you ain't. <laughs> no, the story you told me was is he pulled out something else, right? And you go, is this going to – and it was it was like a 70 Petrus. It was insane, <laughs> right? And he, he pulled it out, and he goes, is this going to impress him? And all of a sudden, you said that – now all of a sudden, Barry wanted to impress me with the bottle of wine, right? So he's <laughs> right. like pulling it back. Maybe it's this one. Maybe it's this one. He pulls out the 59 Latour. Then we all went to dinner that night. Georgia's. We went to Giorgio's. They wouldn't let us bring the wine, so we went to Capo. But do you remember what Barry tried to do at Giorgio's when they tried wouldn't to... let him bring the wine? He offered her either a thousand or ten thousand dollars in cash to let us bring the wine in, but they they had no corkage fees, <laughs> just said, no nope, wine. Nope. So <laughs> yeah. we went to Capo. He calls on the phone. We get in there. He goes, "Do you have any of that caramel ice cream?" <laughs> right? There go. Yeah. He goes, "How much? How much do you want?" He clearly is what they asked. And all of a sudden, they hear him go. All of it, <laughs> <laughs> you know. I but mean, he opened a '59 Latour that night. He goes, "Cause I know you're not going to open it." It's unbelievable. I mean, I, he was such such a so great generous. great guy, and you know, his last story with him because he was the guy I sold Entourage off a story from him because his stories were so wild and crazy, and just like you see in Wolf of Wall Street. But uh, you know, one time we went to Ben and Jerry's. Were you there that night? And and they were closing, and the guy's like, "I'm closing," and and Barry puts five hundred dollar bills onto the window at Ben and Jerry's and says. One scoop each. Okay, one scoop each. We walk in, and the guy gives us the scoops. He's so grateful. And Barry goes, how much do I owe you? And the guy's he wasn't joking, though. And the guy goes, what? He goes, how much do I owe you? Because you just gave me $500. He goes, that wasn't for the ice cream. That was for opening the door. And um, that was the guy that guy Barry was. So we're going to bring some of uh, that magic back into the show. I'm really excited. Seven days away from filming. Mark Abrams, thanks for coming. Ted, thanks for wiring that money today so nobody had a chase you down and uh that's hollywood ways we'll be back all right doug thanks i'm martin cove you know me as sensei john crease from cobra kai and the karate kid trilogy as well as rambo and six years on cagney and lacy i'm hosting a new podcast kicking it with the coves with my kids rachel and jesse cove We're digging into the characters, roles, and unforgettable scenes that have made an impact on all of us. We'll be joined by actors, producers, writers, and other members of the incredible teams who've helped create the programs we all love to watch. We'll dive into character development, behind the scenes, antics, personal stories, and so much more. And the impact it's all had in the lives of our guests, their families, and the fans. So, listen to and follow Kiki with the Codes, now at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Podcast One. Do you have a problem with that? No, No sensei! sensei. I mean, dad.